Welcome to the Finding Joy podcast, where we shine a spotlight on the joy that exists in the lives of people all around us. I'm Jerry Williams, along with Rob Langer and Benji Shepard. And if you listen to our last episode of the Finding Joy podcast, we had a great conversation with Steve Geyer, great comedian, author as well. But, you know, there was so much material. Yeah that we decided, well, there's more. Why yeah. not? So we've got part two of our conversation with Steve Geyer today. And in this episode, we'll talk about a book that he wrote called Shameless, and he'll give us sort of the idea behind why he wrote it and how that came about. Also, um, you know, with the pandemic going mm. on, I thought that it might be a time where, ironically, some comedy material yeah. might come out of this. <laughs> sure, yeah. So we asked him about that. I'm I'm surprised that you haven't yet tried to work in somehow the subtitle of the last episode in the book that he's got coming out. <laughs> Who yes. the poo are you? Yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, if you, you want need... to find out more about that, go back and listen to exactly. the first episode right. with Steve Geyer. Yeah. Who the poo are you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and since, like I said, the conversation was so long, we've got two parts. Well, we had to set up a second Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, because we ain't paying. <laughs> <laughs> we got the free zoom. Right. right. <laughs> so let's get everybody connected here. All right, here we go. Let's get Steve back in here and get Rob back in here. Still waiting for Benji. And here comes Steve and here comes Rob. Ding, ding, ding. So Steve, you've written a book. Tell us about Shameless. Well, Shameless was actually a blog. I was blogging for the... Uh, <laughs> The Huffington Post. Whoa. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because uh, it was the Huffington Post in Canada, and I don't agree with them on anything politically, but they liked my writing for some reason. And I didn't hold back. I mean, I was pretty much in your face about faith and, and, uh, and belief in God and all that. And so um, one day my editor called me and or texted me and said, hey, you're, you know, you're late. You know, you're the deadline, you know. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time finishing this blog. It's 500 word blog. And she said, well, how short are you? And I said, Holly, I'm not short, I'm long. She said, well, how many words? I said, like 20,000. And she went, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm like, I'm like at 20,000 words, I can't stop. And she goes, well, send it to me. So I sent it to her and like within a day, she's like, you have to finish this. She goes, oh my gosh. She says, I couldn't put this down. She goes, I just, it, it just like sucked me in from the beginning. She said, you have to finish this. This is a book. It's not a blog. And I was like, really? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, and so I, I just kept writing and, you know, I'd been doing research and stuff because I was doing the research on the, on the blog. And then it, the research kind of took me down this rabbit hole. And so then um, I started sending it out to other people to say, Hey, I'm, I'm writing this thing, looking for a publisher. Do you think this has any merit? And one friend who said, man, I am, I was sitting in my car, well, in the car wash reading it and just started bawling. And, you know, people were looking at me like, are you okay? Are you okay? I had another friend, fairly prominent person in ministry. I sent it to him and said, Hey, would you look at this and just tell me what you think? And he's, yeah, it's not something I deal with, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, you know, I'll have a look at it. So I get an email that says, Hey man, it's pretty good. You know, still, it's really not anything pertaining to me, but you know, it's pretty good. You know, <laughs> like two days later, I get this email. I would call you, but I wouldn't be able to talk. 
oh my gosh, you nailed me. Write the D-A-M-N book. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I said, okay. So I wrote it. And um, when we released it, I actually stopped. We, we had a one publishing date. And then I stopped. And I said, you know, I want to rewrite this. And the publisher was like, why, why? I said, well, I said, it sounds angry to me. I don't know why. It sounds like I'm angry. They were like, no, it doesn't sound angry at all. And I said, let me do some rewrites. So I rewrote. She said, how much do you want to rewrite? I said, the whole thing. She was like, wow. So I took some, several months to do a rewrite on some things that really just, I wanted to make sure that in addressing the shame that I grew up with, that I didn't shame anybody else in the process. That I'd be real careful, walk a real fine line. What I find really fascinating is that it's really popular among uh, school teachers. I was doing a show one night and this lady walked up and, she had her husband with her and she said, um, we didn't come tonight for the comedy show. I, cause I was, do, I was on this, I was on this, I was just on a comedy. It wasn't a couple's night out. It was a comedy show. All I was doing was stand up. I wasn't doing any ministry. They said, we didn't come for the comedy tonight. We came to, to see you. And I said, Oh, well, that's really sweet. Thanks. She had shameless in her hand. And she said, um, you know, I used to think I was this really cool teacher and, you know, it was so funny and everything. And she said, when I read your chapter on sarcasm, she goes, it devastated me. And she said, I thought back on all the things that I have, had, I have ever done to students over the years. And she said, I cried myself to sleep that night. And I said, wow. And she said, I, I came here because I wanted to buy a dozen books. I wanted to buy for my staff, for my faculty. And I thought that was kind of an enigma, you know. And lo and behold, teachers, for whatever reason, teachers buy that book in bulk. They'll buy it and they'll like give it to staff or they'll, you know, share copies and everything. But uh, it was just a book that I, because I'm a comic and everything, when people read the book, they'll be like, well, I never knew. I had no idea. And that's why the cover's me with a mask and it says set free from the mask because we all wear a mask at some level. And mine was to cover up that I hated myself, that I thought I was the most useless, worthless person on the planet. And that the only reason my wife married me is because she felt sorry for me. And uh, my kids tolerated me because, you know, well, I feed them, you know, and it was just, it was that bad. And so when I broke free of that, that cloak or that like iron, I call it in the book, I call it an iron coat of shame, that it really allowed me to break out of a longstanding depression that I had. And, um, you know, even help with my stage fright. I used to have really bad stage fright. Even through all the years, I would be panicked. And now I can wake up out of a dead sleep and walk on stage and not think twice. It's like, yeah, not out of being cocky, but just out of being, I don't hate myself anymore. Right. It's not a funny book. There's humor in it. I do alleviate some of the tension by, you know, being funny. Uh, but it's just a book on, you know, being, being released from the power of shame. Do you find that whether it's shame or other things that happen that a lot of comedy and a lot of comics, because obviously you've hung around with a lot of them. You've toured with Sinbad and, and, and you know, you've mentioned a bunch of other folks that a lot of those guys are operating and, and turn to comedy almost as a way to deal with that pain that they felt at some point in their life. Yeah, there are a lot, there, there are a lot of comics that have that. Not all of them. You know, there's a, you know, a healthy number of guys that, they were just funny as heck growing up. They were really good at it. But yeah, it's like for some of us, comedy is group therapy. I used to talk about getting spanked and how my mom, you know, say, uh, you know, how many of you 
we got spanked with Hot Wheels tracks and, you know, all the hands would go up. And go, yeah, <laughs> you know, I said, then you had to learn to be pretty judicious about what you asked for for Christmas that year because, you know, <laughs> you, know you don't want a wood burning set, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so I, uh, you know, so I would, I would work these things out and all that. And I found that as I could laugh about it and then talk about it, that I would have other people come up and say, man, I just, man, I grew up in a similar situation. And man, I just to be able to laugh about it tonight was great, man. Thank you. Like, oh yeah, you're welcome. What happened for me was uh, it was a journey because comedy helped me kind of um, get away from always having, uh, having an excuse for whatever, you know, the, Oh, well I, you know, I, I didn't have a dad or which is true or, I was from an alcoholic family, which is true. But what I did was, is I gave myself permission to not be called on the carpet by, well, you know, you don't know what I've been through. And uh, I soon discovered how unbecoming that was. And it really didn't benefit me at all. In fact, it was part of the reason why I didn't like myself was that I never took responsibility or owned my own stuff. So when I got to that place where I could own it and comedy helped me do that, comedy helped me realize that, you know, Hey man, you're helping people with this. Why don't you help yourself? And it was like, Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like in to circle, to, so to circle back around. Yeah, Jerry, there's a lot of comic. I know a lot of comics, a lot who sadly have never gotten better. Uh, I know some comics who are the most, angry people on the planet. I mean, they're funny. You, you see them on stage and they're hilarious, but man, backstage, whew, man, they are just, just mad. It's like, as soon as they walk off stage, a smile goes, everything goes. And they're just like, you know, and it's like, Ugh. Mm. you know, I'm not tattling on anybody, but that's part of it too. So there's, yeah. there's a lot of anger in comedy. Speaking of um, painful times, I think the whole world's going through a painful time, you know, all that goes with COVID-19, does this time give you, ironically, uh, any material? Yeah, Benji, it does. In fact, I've been asked to do a tour in the fall. As soon as they're allowed to start booking again, I've been asked to do this tour called It's Time to Laugh Again. And I said, yeah. And I, they said, you know, can you write material around coronavirus? I said, absolutely. I said, now it's not going to be the whole show, but it'll be the first chunk. You know, Benji, the material just writes itself. I mean, it literally writes itself because I was, I was sitting here the other day, I was doing a live thing and <laughs> being interviewed. And I said, you know, I, I've discovered that they said, what have you discovered about yourself during uh, the, the coronavirus? And I said that people's uh, opinion of me matters more to me than I thought it did. I never thought I was a person that succumbed to peer pressure. I never really thought I was the person that didn't care about what other people thought about me. And I said, but now I have been painfully made aware that if I didn't have to go out in public and see other people, I would bathe maybe once a month. <laughs> and, <laughs> and maybe I'll hit the toothbrush every few days, you know. <laughs> I'm like, my hygiene has gone, you know. And every day, every day, I'm not making this up. Kathy's like, you take a shower today? <laughs> I'm like... I'm good, you know, <laughs> right. The other thing about, you know, um, I don't know about you, but I've picked up my own COVID-19, you know, from eating frozen pizzas and everything. So I've got to work off my COVID-19 that I've acquired mm -hmm. here. 
And then um, the other thing is just going out in public, you know, walk, walking through, you know, a grocery store and you got your mask on and everybody looks like a bank robber. And you're like, <laughs> all right, are you the one with the virus? Are you, you know, and everybody's like <laughs> suspicious of each other. And, and, and everybody's on a hair trigger. And the other thing I've noticed is that everybody is so impatient. Oh my gosh. Now that people are like starting to get out when they interact, it's like all of this pent up aggression and frustration. People just lashing out at each other. And it's like, I want to go calm down, calm down. I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. I remember the, the gas shortages of the seventies and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I remember those. get gas and all. remember that. I never seen nothing like this. And part of it now is trying to figure out, did we overreact? Did we underreact? Did we act too soon? Did we act too late? And the horrible thing about this is that it's like, it's dividing like down political lines. It's like, man, let's just all agree to common sense. Let's all agree that, Hey, here's some common sense things that we can all agree on. But the fact that people would use this to leverage, um, Political gain is so unbecoming to me. I'm like, oh my gosh. So yeah. it's um, it's the time though for the church to really rise up. Christians aren't afraid of death. It's not that we minimize it. It's not that you know we're flipping about the uh, the, the the coronavirus and everything. But I, I personally am not scared to die. I'm not scared to get, you know what I mean? So I don't want to yeah. get, I don't want to get it. I want to be careful. I want to do those things, but I'm not driven by fear. And so many people now are driven by fear. There are people that won't even leave their houses. And I'm like, there, there's two groups of people. My heart absolutely aches for families who have children with special needs, who haven't been able to get any kind of help or support or, the therapies or the, uh, you know, the, you know, all of the things that they need. I, I was a big advocate there for the Joseph Sam school in, in Fayetteville and Peachtree right, I remember that. I ache for those families. I ache for those children because they have been just basically put in prison and these parents have no relief. And the other people I really hurt for, and I have a few friends who are this way who are germaphobic to begin with. Now, I mean, they're like, man, they've lost their minds. I think that we should have been ruled by common sense and best practices and the science, but because people um, leveraged fear on people, man, it's just, it's, it, I think it's turned into something that it was, it was an unintended consequence. So I think it's for the church to be, look, don't be flippant. Don't be cavalier about it. You know, be wise, but we're not afraid. Christians aren't afraid. It's like, you know, what if you get COVID-19? Well, I believe that I'll recover from it. But what if it kills you? I won't have to be in this stupid conversation anymore. (laughs) Right? So, you know, and and again, not to be flippant, but it's like, you know, I travel to Haiti and I go to places that are unsafe. I went to India when it was unsafe. I've been to different parts of the world when it just wasn't safe. I was in Kenya in places where it just wasn't safe, but it was like, I didn't come here to be safe. Yeah. I came here because God compelled me to come and we're here. So let's, let's not be ruled by fear or I'm never going to leave my hotel room. And Benji, that's a long way from, have you gotten any material from it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I have, I've I've gotten material, not only comedy material, but maybe some 
messagey kind of thing to say, hey, please don't be ruled by fear. He hasn't given us a, a spirit of fear, but a power of sound mind. But I tell you what, that is a, a great message, especially for today to just, if God calls you to do something, you go and do it and let him worry about covering your back mm, right. and, and not be ruled by a spirit of fear. I love spending time with Steve. <laughs> He's a great guy. He oh, is, he, really he really is. is. Coming up, we're going to be talking about more of the early days of his comedy career and some of the other comics that he's worked with, and I think you'll be uh, pretty impressed. Yeah, I, I know yeah. we were. Yeah, and uh, also some of the early CCM contemporary Christian music artists that he's worked with. Uh, some whose names you might not recognize. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> you know, we talked about the pandemic, and that was a big reason why we delayed our friend raiser. We sure. were supposed to have it back in March, March right? And that's when yeah. the, the virus started spreading and everything, sure. and we just didn't feel like, you know, being close to each other in a studio with the number of phone operators. And well, and not only that, the nature of Friendraiser, we we have a lot of fun, and it's a great time. Mm. It's a wonderful time of ministry, and we have people who tell us, "I look forward to listening to that." It's a fundraiser, yeah. But because of that, we felt that with so many people unsure of what their employment picture was going to look like because so many businesses were closing or were shortening their hours. Probably not the best time to be asking for money for ourselves. And And so we pushed it back. Besides, we needed to focus on giving people hope. That's the truth. And that was was really the heart of it. But the time has come for Friendraiser to actually materialize. And it is going to be happening first day of it on June 16th. And by the way, when you give a gift, it supports our podcast too, not just all that the Joy FM does with what we just did with drop and restock with our food drives, which by the way, if you participated, thank Mm. you. Oh my gosh. Tremendous. Yes, it was. You know, this is important for us to be able to fund all that we do. And instead of doing four days, like we've done in the past, we had a, had a one day that we did not too long ago. So we're going to be doing this in hopefully three days, we'll get to 100%. And the only hopeful part is that we'll get to 100% because we're doing three days. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Whether we're finished or not, right. we're done with three, three yeah. days. So. And we do have the first day giveaway. So if you've already given a gift, you're in the drawing for that, which is four Apple products. This is a really cool prize. It includes a MacBook Pro, an iPad, an Apple Watch, and AirPods, the, the Pro AirPods. version yeah. of the AirPods. Yeah, doing it in only three days. Right. Friend Razor. More information about that is on the station website, thejoyfm.com. For many of us, our lives have been turned upside down, be it a job loss to COVID, a medical condition, or the loss of a loved one. On the latest Jewel Show podcast, pastor and author Gerald Fadiomi, he uses examples from the life of Joseph to help us reboot our lives. It's easy as Christians to point back and go, God's got everything in control. But there are also some things that practically are in our control to influence today. Hear more of my conversation with Gerald Fadiomi. Go to thejoyfm.com slash jewels or anywhere you get your podcast from. When you first started doing comedy, what got you interested? Who were some of your influences? How did you get that very first start? The first time you went up on stage, Just give it a little bit of background on the, the comedy aspect. Man, I loved comedy from the time I was a kid. I used to love Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis movies. I mean, I loved mm-hmm. them. I, I loved Abin Costello. Red Skelton was my hero. When I grew oh, up, yes. I Red Skelton. And then Flip Wilson hit the scene. And I loved Flip Wilson. 
and then it, it's not, you know, it's kind of like not really good to, you know, mention this now, but I had every Billy record back in the I day. I had his bits memorized, man. Yeah, me yes. too. I had a memorized. Me too, yeah. Chicken heart. I had a memorized, man. And then George Carlin, <laughs> I got a George Carlin record. <laughs> and holy mackerel, man. So I just loved comedy. I just loved it. And part of it was my mother, God rest her soul, who became a Christian the last six years of her life, was an alcoholic. And my brother and sister and I used humor to just cope with everything. And my brother and sister are hilarious. In fact, my brother, when I was doing nightclubs, he wrote like 75% of my material. He's a great writer. And so we would write together and stuff. He's a dentist back home in, in Florida. I would win comedy competitions doing his material, you know. The very first time was were talent shows. I had a comedy partner and a guy named Danny Campos who was hilarious. You're younger than me in, in high school. The funniest one of the, of the duo of us. But he, he never pursued comedy. But I, I did. This guy, brilliant guy. We did a um, talent show for our school. And the first set we did, we bombed. I mean, people were like booing us. We killed on our last set. So I had the comedy bug. And then comedy clubs in Florida weren't a big thing. So you would go to a pub. There was a thing called the Firehouse Pub. And there were these different things that you would do. And you would go up and do your thing. But you would follow like a juggler or a dog act or something. It was just <laughs> real bizarre magi magician. Like you'd be the only comedian there. You know? So it was kind of weird. And then a comedy club opened. It was called Giggles. And my brother told me, he said, you know, Steve, because I was in college at the time, he said, Steve, if you don't at least try this, you're going to hate yourself for the rest of your life. Said, now, there's a comedy club. Go do a comedy club. And they said his first night, on a now, it wasn't my first time on a stage because I had done these other stages that were horrible, but it was my first time in a comedy club setting, and it was easy because of all the difficult ones I had already done. And I got up and I killed. And they were like, the manager came over and he said, how long have you been doing this? I said about five minutes and he goes, do you want to come back? And I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, why don't you come back? Why don't you come back every night and we'll give you some stage time. And so I ended up becoming the house MC. And so that's how I started meeting all these other comics was whenever they would come through the giggles or the comedy corner clubs, I was the house MC. So I'd get to know them, get to work with them and uh, learned a lot. I started out with Brian Regan, uh, Brian. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Brian. Brian's one of my favorite, favorite comics. Brian and I started out together. He started out on the East coast of Florida and I started on the West coast and we ended up meeting up in Tampa. The last comedy club I did, Brian was the headliner. Dennis, his brother was the middle act and I was the opening act. It was a great show. It was, and nobody even said darn, it was the cleanest show, but it was uh, Brian, Dennis and me. But uh, man, I, I got to meet some amazing, amazing people. But there's a comic named Lenny Clark who's out of Boston. And uh, Lenny was on the old uh, Night Court show. And he has bit parts. He was in uh, Rescue Me, the fire. He was a fireman, Rescue Me. Probably the comic that taught me the most because he sat me down and would teach me and, and kind of critique my set and everything. And most comics wouldn't give you the time of day if they were a headliner because, you know, you were, you were their competition. But Lenny Clark had this kind of developmental thing. He just loved to develop comics. And I remember one time on Friday nights and Saturdays, you do two sets early and late. As I'm introducing him, Lenny, ladies and gentlemen, from Boston, Lenny Clark. So Lenny walks up, and he just, as we're doing the handoff, he says, hey, I want to talk to you in the green room after, after my set. I went, okay. So I go in the green room, and then I thought, what did I do? And then I started panicking. Oh, well, yeah, I thought, did I do some of his material? Oh, yeah. 
So he walks in and he goes, hey, man, he goes, it's been fun working with you this week. And I said, oh, thanks. He goes, um, you know, you're writing pretty good. How old are you? And I told him, I'm 22. He goes, man, your writing's pretty good. He goes, um, and your timing's excellent. I was like, well, thank you. And I thought, where's this going? He goes, but man, your stage presence sucks. <laughs> and I thought he was like, mess, because some comics try to get in your head, you know? And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, I'm not trying to be ugly. He said, Steve, he goes, you were genuinely one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He said, backstage, he said, you're kind to the service staff. He said, I've seen you help them busting tables between shows. He goes, you are one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He said, but when you walk on stage, all of that goes away and you become this really rigid kind of like scowling guy. He goes, do you think what you're saying is funny? And I went, well, yeah. And he goes, why don't you ever laugh at your own stuff? And I said, well, you shouldn't laugh at your own material. And he goes, have you ever heard of Red Skelton? And the moment he said that, it was like these blinders fell off of me. And I went, he said, you're not you on stage. That's, that's not you. He said, take that guy that talks to me, you know, pre-show, you know, post-show, take that guy on stage with his second set, have some fun. And if you think what you said is funny, laugh at it. And guys, I had the best time of my life that night. It was the first time I'd ever had really had fun on stage. Normally I was always just wired, just really tight and wound really tight. Laughed at a couple of my own jokes and everything. I was the opening act and I got a standing ovation. Wow. Nice. In the, in the back of the room, there's Lenny Clark just clapping, just <laughs> nodding at me. And I, he, he is the guy of all the comics I've ever worked with. He was the guy that taught me the most because he took the time to teach me. Like a lot of com comedy, you learn osmosis. You learn by watching and you, you take this and you're like, oh, okay, I got Oh, I need, I need to, I need to stop doing that. I need to start doing this. But Lenny just sat down and goes, here, do this, 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 and all that. But, yeah, so I, I would say now the comics that I, that I love are like Brian, uh, Brian Regan. There's a new comic. <laughs> I love him to death. He's, he's a young comic. His name is Cam Bertrand. He's, uh, he's not a Christian. He's not clean. He's clever as heck. He's a kid that I did, I did my drive our comedy special with him. And uh, after his set, I, 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 I walked up to him. I said, kid, if you can avoid being a train wreck, you know, personally, you're going to be huge in this business. He's just a funny kid, very clever, very funny, um, nice kid, really nice kid. But you know, um, this industry, uh, you know, the comedy club industry can, you know, it, it can hurt you, you know? So yeah. on the Christian side of things, just the, the artists that I got to work with over the years, you know, the people that let me go on stage and turn their crowd into an audience, you know, I was very, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. And, um, you know, and those, and those artists that like Farrell and Farrell, uh, way oh, yeah. Farrell and Farrell were the first music act to put a comic on in front of them. They were the first ones to ever do it. And it was me. Bob Farrell just had the foresight to say, I want to do something different and fun. And then I went from there to the, uh, going out on the, uh, the Garmon key tour and then doing spot openings for different artists and stuff like an artist says, Hey, I'm doing this event. Can you, can you come up? And yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, and then culminating to my last major tour I did as an opening act was the for him point of grace tour. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm just very grateful for the music, for the Christian music industry and the people that are in it. Just some, you know, really classy, you know, godly people who, you know, gave me a shot to uh, mm -hmm. perfect my craft. Well, when the book comes out, I'll have to get you to come in. Oh yeah, man. This was a pleasure. I, you know, I, uh, you know, 
it's just very honored and grateful that uh, they invited me. I don't, I don't know if you guys have noticed my Jesus action figure been staring at you on my top shelf. I <laughs> didn't notice that. I'm watching over me. Just making sure you guys uh, behave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, thanks. Absolutely. What's the date on the book? Is it September 1? September 1st, yep. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'll, uh, I'll have some copies in my hand for you. Yeah, definitely. That would be great. Love to read it. Always good to catch up, Steve. Hey, you too, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Love your work and uh, listen to you all the time and keep on keeping on. Yeah, you know, I really can't wait for Steve's second book to come out. Who the poo are you? I, <laughs> yeah, we, we've got to take that test. That. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we started off the conversation talking about his first book. And it's entitled Shameless, Set Free from the Mask. And he shared about putting on a facade to help him cover up what he was dealing with in his life, the shame of his past, his failures, even feeling worthless. And it's, it, I think for all of us, and especially me, I'm guilty of this too, it's easy to put on that happy face mask to cover up the painful face that's underneath. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I've struggled with that quite a bit myself. Now, you may be too. What is it you're dealing with? It's painful to think about. I get it. You know, we just want to sweep it under the rug, but maybe it's sending you to that point where you're spiraling into depression, a feeling of worthlessness. And so you put on that mask to cover it up. And that mask isn't just in the form of putting on that happy face to cover up the sad face. It's also maybe even feeling like you've got to be on all the time, putting on a show or really trying to entertain the troops, so to speak. Yeah, and I would say that probably happens a lot with guys like us who yes. are on the radio. Yeah. We have to, you know, no matter what's going on in our the personal lives, Absolutely. You know, we got we to gotta turn the microphone on and try to help people find joy. And right? I think you see that in a lot of church leadership, too. I mean, mm-hmm. there are pastors that deal with that. I mean, they've got to be up on that altar mm-hmm. preaching And they've got to look like they have it all together, but inside they could be hurting too. And, you know, that mask also takes on other things like getting into addiction, drugs, alcohol, excessive eating maybe. Those are ways that you cover up your shame, your guilt. That's another mask. Freeing ourselves from that mask can lift so much off of our shoulders and bring us joy because God doesn't want to see you cover up your pain, your mistakes, you're hurt. He wants you not to carry it. He wants to take it from you. And I found in scripture, Paul talking about that in his second letter to the people in Corinth, a life with Jesus can help remove that mask, free you from your guilt and shame, and also allow God to work through you to help others. I want to read from second Corinthians. This is chapter three, starting with verse 16. But when someone changes and follows the Lord, that covering is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and our faces are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory, and we are being changed to be like Him. This change in us brings more and more glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And what Paul writes there is what really Steve followed. He started dealing with that pain in his life. It became freeing to the point now that he's able to use his talent, his comedy, 
to help others. So you don't have to live with that mask anymore. Let God work through you, through prayer and scripture, and help you take off that mask and begin to experience that freeing joy that God wants for your life. Mm. Good points. Mm. And you you alluded to the fact that once you do that, once you take that mask off, then you are able to help others Mm -hmm. who are dealing with the same thing. And in another place where Paul writes, he talks about the comfort that we have in Christ, then we can comfort others Mm -hmm. with the same comfort with which we have. I think he uses the word comfort like six times in three verses, but talks about sharing that comfort that we have gotten when we have been in those tough places, when we've felt the need to wear that mask, when we take that off, we're free to see other people and that maybe they're wearing the mask and they need a little bit of help. They need a little bit of encouragement. They yeah. need a little bit of comfort that we have experienced once we give that up. Right. And once we cast our burdens on the Lord and let him carry it for us. Yeah. Right. That's why groups like recovery groups work so well because mm-hmm. you have people coming together, sharing their experience, strength and hope with each other yeah. so that they can get over what it is that's holding them back. Mm-hmm. Now, guys, I'm excited about our next episode. <laughs> I really am. This is a guy. Uh, we we had a guy wander into the station one day. <laughs> you remember that? Yes, right? oh, yes. I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> and uh, he just wanted to meet us one day, and uh, he, he got past the front desk. And, <laughs> and because of his voice, it is unmistakable Casey Motter is going to be with us on the next episode, the voice of the Atlanta Braves. You got to do it though, like now batting (laughs) for the Finding Joy podcast, podcast, podcast. Oh my goodness. This guy, I mean, we may have radio voices, but this guy's got a He's got a set of pipes. He really does. And he's got a great story on how we got this gig. I I know. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of us in radio are frustrated other things. <laughs> Next to doing play-by-play or color on an actual broadcast of a game, being the stadium announcer oh, or oh a professional word. sports team. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm not even as big a baseball fan as the two of you, and I would love doing yeah, that. Yeah, that exactly. Be that would be great. And He's also, got some great stories. He does. He really does. Also, we are going to have uh, another What's on Your Wall, uh, and this time... My Jerry. Name? All right. Jerry yes. Williams. I've got to straighten up Get my ready. wall. Yes, yeah. clean up. He's got to straighten up his wall. <laughs> uh, re- replace those ceiling tiles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. June 18th is when our next episode is going to come out. Now, if uh, you don't subscribe, you know, let's let's what? go ahead come and correct on. that. What are you waiting for? Seriously. Seriously. Apple, Google Play, everywhere else that you find your podcast, give us a five-star rating, review, and that's going to help us get this out to more people. Yeah. If yeah. they see that you like it, you it know. It shows up higher in the results. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. that. sort of, if you like this podcast, yeah. you yeah. might like this one kind of thing. Sure. And, sure. you know, we have a lot of bonus material as well, and we love to be out there on social media so you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and all of those links are at our website, thejoyfm.com. And you can always email comments or questions, maybe suggestions for future podcasts. And I can never remember this email address. Oh, and yeah. on our little notes thing, you never put it. I what never put it the email there, But I know it. It's, uh, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, findingjoypodcast at thejoyfm.com. Okay. Findingjoypodcast <laughs> at thejoyfm.com. We would love to hear from you. And honestly, somebody will respond. Yes. If you yes, email yeah, us. Absolutely. So June 18th, the next episode. Casey Motter, 
And thank you so much for listening and allowing us to be a part of your day today. We're out there finding joy wherever it may be. And who knows, we might show up where you are someday too. That's right. Join us next time on the Finding Joy Podcast.